your patient teach you, and it's kind of like being online when you were saying, you know, the first video when you're online, you suck. Your first patient, you panic. Not only I panicked because I didn't know what Ashimoto was, but once I needled her, I was just thinking, I hope she's okay. I took the needles out. She went home and I literally went home thinking, what about if I made it worse? What about if like something really bad happened? And I said to my husband, I couldn't sleep that first night. I could not sleep. I was so worried that I heard her, that I did something wrong because there was no more supervision. We were not in school anymore. And your patients will teach you everything. It's kind of like being online. At first you suck and you're not good, but you do it again and again and again. And eventually people are like, oh, you're a natural. I'm like, no, I was not a natural. I created over 400 videos. That's why it looks natural. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. I had a student reach out to me recently with some questions about a project that she's working on an acupuncture school. She's talking to practitioners about how they handle themselves in clinic, how in the midst of working out a diagnosis, treatment plan, and doing the actual work of using needles, how did we manage our own feelings, emotions, and maybe more importantly, reactions to our patients? It's a great question and a potent inquiry. I'm looking forward at some point to reading what she's collected and distilled. I enjoyed my conversation with her because for a while now, I've been thinking about the what we do in clinic and it's important, the skills we have, the methods, experience and tools in the kit. And for sure, you better have a good kit and know how to use it because the agreement with medicine is people will seek us out because they want us to do something that's going to be helpful. But on the other side of this is the how we are in clinic, which is what I think she was aiming at. She asked, how do you handle it when you have a patient and you just kind of don't like them? Or if you have one and you do like them a lot, not in the sexual way, but in a friendly, I like this person kind of way. I know exactly what she's talking about. And it's precisely this kind of experience that helps to season us as practitioners. These kinds of things, they're unavoidable. And like anything unavoidable, rather than push it away, it's more helpful to invite it in. Notice what you're feeling and give it a little room in the treatment room. Not center stage, but next to you in a, in a friendly way. Well, maybe not friendly. Maybe respectfully or perhaps as a kind of advisor. Denial, for sure, does not help, nor some attempt to banish the feeling because you're trying to be socially or politically correct. That's just asking for trouble. Much like dealing with thoughts during meditation, note it and let it be. I found it at times rather entertaining to notice the stories that I'm making up about a patient based on nothing other than feelings that are arising in me. On a bad day, it's obtrusive. It shows me how unfocused or simply off-center I am that day. Other times, it's an invitation into perhaps understanding something of my patient that does not come through the conversation or the clues from the tongue or the pulse. For sure in the beginning, it's uncomfortable. But as with any practice, in time, 
things get easier, especially when I'm more friendly with my own foibles and faults that go along with being human. It's not unhelpful to take our broken parts into the clinic room with us with a little bit of acceptance, mostly because they're going to follow us in anyway, and it's more helpful to be on speaking terms with them. So, yes, when our uncomfortable emotions arise as part of the clinical work that we do, it's best to be on friendly terms with them. They might even help us in getting a better understanding of ourselves, and being able to sit with our own uncomfortable feelings makes us more reliable when our patients are sitting with theirs. Creating something of value requires that you start, probably before you're ready, and then consistently showing up again and again and again. For sure, you'll not be noticed by many when you begin. But with persistence and time, something happens. It's the opposite of going viral, which is good because viral is a flash in the pan. To build something of worth, it takes time, iteration, and a dedicated audience who loves what you do. Clara Cohen started making Facebook videos for her students as a way to help supplement and support their learning. She had no idea what she was doing when she made that first one, nor any idea of where that would eventually lead her which, at the moment, is running the largest YouTube channel dedicated to Chinese medicine. There's a lot you learn when creating something that hasn't previously existed. We'll get into all of that and more in a moment. Stay with us. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine And the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy, 
This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Claire Cohen, welcome to Geological. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting to be on your podcast for years because I've been listening to you, Michael, for quite a while. So I'm so excited. I'm really happy to have you here. So we're both in the uh, kind of digital stream it from your own bedroom, waiting room, basement, attic, whatever, studio of sorts. I've got a podcast. You have the premier online TCM University. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. (laughs) But you do. So you got this thing that you got on YouTube and you've got what, like 42,000 subscribers? Uh, Yeah, I guess on YouTube I do. And then of course, you know, because it's the social media world, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter and LinkedIn and even TikTok now. Look at me in my 50s being on TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, TikTok could be kind of dangerous. It's dangerous when you get lost in it. I just do the research, look at what I need to do, and then I use it to basically as a platform to continue to educate, you know, when it comes to TCM, because that's my whole goal is to really support students and practitioners because I graduated over 20 years ago and there was no support at the time. Obviously, there was no internet and social media and all this, but there was no support. Like you felt very alone. And I think that some people still feel alone. So having a community of people or feeling supported with some kind of content helps a lot of people. And that's been my, um, you know, reward for spending all this time creating this content. The reward is unbelievable. 
And the reward is? The reward is I feel like, you know, I've been teaching at a college here in Vancouver in Canada for quite a long time, over 14 years. And when I teach my classes, I have between 30 to 36 students. So I can impact every year 30 to 36 students, which is fantastic. And I really enjoy that. However, when I decided to go online, the reason why I did was to give support to my students. I wanted them to have more than what we do in class and have things they could watch again. They could watch over and over and over instead of hearing it once in class and forgetting about it and going home and thinking, oh, what did she say? I didn't take notes. I don't remember what she said about this. I can't understand. Or I had a question I forgot to ask. So I did start online for my students specifically, sorry. And eventually I realized that there was other people that were interested in it. And within, I started with Facebook. I remember I, I made a video and it was so bad. The video quality was bad. I was standing like a robot. I wasn't moving. I was so scared. I thought I don't look good, you know, with the French accent and, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just looked horrible. It was the worst video ever, but you got to start somewhere. And I started posting on a daily basis and my students enjoyed it. But then suddenly I got people from all over the world going, oh, I love what you're doing. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And I realized that the support was needed not just for my students, but for lots of students all over the world. And the reward is instead of me teaching 30 to 36 students every year and helping and impacting them in getting passionate about TCM and practicing with passion, now I impact thousands of people all over the world that love what they do but needed the support. So the reward to me is it's just it made me realize TCM has no boundaries, and that's fantastic because I love it. It's amazing, isn't it? That I mean, there's never been a better time to learn things. There's never been a better time to start a business or have a business for that matter. The tools that we have, the capacity that we have, the ways we have of interconnecting with each other, there's never been anything like it in the history of the world. And you can stand up in your room with a video, feel awful, but put it out, see what happens. You know, I, I love what you say about start somewhere, right? You just got to start somewhere. And is the start very good? It usually isn't. It's no reason not to start that. Who's good at the start of anything? Nobody. You got to keep, you got to keep going. And I love that you've used these platforms first as a way to help out your students. And then you realize, and I had a similar thing with podcasting. You realize, holy smokes, wait a minute. I'm getting feedback that I never imagined getting. What else is going on here that I did not see? You're absolutely right. The internet opened such a, you know, there's so many people that I've met, and that's air quoting, <laughs> online. You know, you are one of them. We've never met. And I have many, many people, students, practitioners, that I feel like I know them. I know where they are, where they live, like which area of the world they live in. You know, if they're practicing, how long they've been practicing, what kind of person they are, we've We've exchanged DMs, we've exchanged conversations, we've exchanged emails, and I feel like we know each other even though in real life we've never met. And that's the magic of the internet is that it makes us feel specifically as TCM practitioners 
really connected and not alone because I feel like a lot of people feel alone because they don't know where who to talk to unless you talk to someone that is a friend of yours that you went to school with. Who do you talk to about TCM? My husband likes to hear about it for 10 minutes and he's like, oh my God, yes, you're going to talk about this again and again and again. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you don't want to hear it, but somebody else wants to hear it. So let's build a community. And that's why with your podcast, you did this. And with doing videos or, you know, creating content online, like I've done, it's the same thing. It's just making us feel connected. I want to put a pin in this because I think it's really important. So often we hear about the ways that the internet is driving us apart. And I would not disagree with it. I would say that there are indeed ways that the internet, social media, the way it's used, the way it's consumed, its effect on especially young girls in their teens, it's horrible, right? It's like really dangerous to their psychoemotive development. There are issues with this internet technology that we have. At the same time, like any fantastic tool, multi-edged, be careful how you use it. You can also use it, again, to connect with people all over the world, support people in their learning, support in creating a community of people who are trying to get better at what they do. It's really a, a phenomenal thing when used, you know, sort of for the forces of good, for lack of a better term. Now, you started off with Facebook. You just put yourself out there. What kind of feedback did you start to get in the beginning? What was it that made you think, wait a minute, there's something here. And what was that something that you thought you saw? It was interesting because I remember the first comment I got under one, because I did videos, but I also did posts on, on Facebook, right? And my goal was to post every day something that would support my students or make them you know, realize something or spark an idea or spark an understanding of something they were learning in class. So I remember the first time someone left a comment on the Facebook page and they were not my students. They were someone, I don't know. I looked at the name. I'm like, who's this? <laughs> you know, and I, I felt like my 90 year old mother when she said, I don't understand, like who watches those videos on YouTube? And I remember saying, well, anybody in the world, she said, well, what do you mean? Why would they watch some, something or someone they don't know, right? She didn't understand why people would go look at something or someone that they didn't know. So I just felt the same way. I'm like, well, I don't know this person. And then their comment was, oh, this is great. Can you continue to do this daily? I just found your page. And I was like, huh. So I looked at this person and it said that they were from the UK. And that's all I got information from. And I was like, well, that's really cool. We crossed the pond. And it just made me continue to, to look at that in a new light where I thought, okay, there's need, there's need for support. And so because it started, I remember, I, you know, I got a hundred followers on my Facebook page within a month or so, and they were all students of mine over the years, right? Because I've been teaching. So in school, everybody was telling everybody, hey, go to the page, you know, Clara's doing this. So I had a hundred people on it. That was so excited. And I was so proud of myself. Because I thought that was great because that means that all my students are interested and continue to learn and to to want to learn more and take the time to go on social media for this purpose, which is the best purpose, in my opinion. And suddenly there was people coming from all over the world. And, and within two months, I reached over a thousand followers and that just blew me away. 
I just couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. And that was at the time, I think it was 2015 or so, 16, and where social media was, you know, there was a big boom, but people were saying, oh, Facebook is losing steam. People are not really going on Facebook. They're going to all the new platform, Instagram and, you know, YouTube and et cetera. And for me, Facebook was the beginning of everything and it was working really well. And it kept going and going and going. And then I decided, okay, well, what do you want me to do? So I started asking my audience, what do you want me to do? What is it you're looking for? What can I do to help you? And people were like, oh, can you do an online course where I can learn from you? And so I started making YouTube videos because I was like, okay, I can teach the basics, the five element theory, the yin-yang theory, you know, the vital substances. Instead of little bites, I'm going to teach a whole lecture. And I started by doing this, by doing YouTube with like, it's still to these to this day, seven years later, the five element theory that I recorded seven years ago on YouTube is still my number one most viewed video and it keeps being the most views, uh, most viewed video, the five element theory. And I think it's just because I have a lot of students that watch this and the comments below is, and this is a conversation I'd love to have with you, but a lot of time the comments is, I pay thousands of dollars and I learn more from you in 45 minutes watching your YouTube video that I did in three hours with my teacher in school. And that makes me both very sad because, you know, <laughs> because you're not learning as much in school or understanding and very happy because then I'm there to support them. So I think there's definitely a gap in the education and TCM schools, wherever people are going to that are in the English system, I would say Europe and North America, et cetera, that it needs to be addressed. It's like, why is it that you understand my teaching and you're not grasping it in school? What's going on, right? So that's a conversation I'd love to, to go into with you. It's a great question. Let's And let's get into that in just a second, because it, yeah, that sounds juicy. Before we get into that, I just want to point out, again, we have amazing tools. One of the wonders of the internet is, yes, you can create something once. And it sounds like with your five-phase talk here, it was an inspired moment because it's something that continues to get comments. It continues to get views. You can create something. You can do like a virtuosity, virtue virtuoso like performance of something or just something that lands right just plain common practical it lands whatever and then it's just available for everybody for the rest of the history of the internet and there's this curious multiplier effect that goes on because it's out there and, and it gets interest and it keeps getting interest and then people look at your other stuff and then you know, the next thing you know, you got 42,000 subscribers, right? Or like you said, in your first month, 100. The next month, logarithmic up to 1,000. I mean, this is the network effect of what the internet can bring. That network effect can work in really horrible ways. Just look at the headlines. It can work in very positive, productive, connective, helpful ways, like you see with the work that you're doing. Now, as to your question, how is it that people are going on YouTube, finding your lecture and saying, I've got more out of this than I did in my schooling, 
I have no idea. I'm, I'm not a teacher. I'm not involved in the schools. I mean, I had my education. I went out and, you know, I'm mostly just a practitioner. I don't know why that's the case. But I'll tell you this, being a bit of a, a technology philic uh, type person, I look at the possibilities of the internet. Like, why not have schools that are maybe as much as two-thirds online? You don't need to sit in a class to hear a lecture. You could curate amazing lectures on everything from the very basics to, you know, the very depths of Shanghai Learn formulas and do it online. And with the kind of online communities, discussion groups, texting, all the ways that we have of being connected, maybe you could do quite a good education for the didactic stuff without ever having to meet in person. Now, of course, you're going to need in person to to get your clinical work. Yeah, but... absolutely, obviously, yeah. You, you do, you have to, you know, there's so much practice that has to be done, but you're right, when it comes to teaching basics or even the yin-yang theory, you don't need to be sitting there. You absolutely can have it recorded. And then what I love about that is that you can go back and listen to the last five minutes you know, if you miss something or if something happens. Oh, my God. How often does that happen? Like, what did they just say? Wait a minute. What was that? I spaced out there. Oh, shit. Now I'm lost for the rest of the day. Yeah, exactly. And especially because, you know, like maybe something happened to you. Maybe your your child is sick and you're in class thinking of other things and you're not paying attention. With this, it's like, okay, well, I can just rewind and do it again and watch it again later because, you know, once my mind is a little bit more clear. So it, it, it is available more when you are ready for that. And sometimes, you know, you're just not feeling good or there's reasons why. But for me, I will say that, yeah, again, you know, the internet and technology for me is yin and yang, right? It's, it's always the same thing. There's always good and bad in everything. And it's a yin yang and it's balancing everything and making sure you use it for the greater goods. But I think the reason why people are having a hard time in school, and I'm not in every school, so I don't know. Um, I did the program in the school I teach. So I, I revamped the program and, and I did the whole program, which helped a lot. Because when I was in school, which was a long time ago, <laughs> it feels like uh, over 20 years ago, when I was in school, what did not make sense to me, and I've never been trained as a teacher, I've never taken courses, I never thought of myself as a teacher, but I remember being in school and going, this makes no sense at all. Because we, for example, in the school I went to, and I, there's many teachers I loved and I learned from, and, and you know, it's not a criticism of the school itself, because I think a lot of schools teach that way, is that the first semester, you're brand new, you're arriving here, and some of us have scientific backgrounds. I had a phys ed, you know, background, so I knew my anatomy, my physiology, etc. But the girl sitting next to me came from a criminology bachelor, so she had no anatomy, no physiology, right? So for her, this is brand new. So we're taking anatomy the same semester, the same week, for three months, at the same time as we're taking TCM Foundation, TCM Herbs, acupuncture theory, all at the same time. So the same week I'm learning about Ma Huang being great for wind cold, I don't know what wind cold is. I have no idea what that is because I'm in the yin-yang theory in the same week. So I haven't gone to wind and cold and pathogens. I'm not even there yet. At the same time, we're learning 
meridians and acupuncture points. And we're learning where, you know, long points are, let's say. And so many of people in the class don't know the anatomy. We haven't gone to the bones. We just started at the cellular level. So we're not even in the bones or in the muscular system yet. And they're learning. So now we're all memorizing because we don't know where, you know, anything is. I do because I did anatomy, but in general, we're not understanding and we're just memorizing and we're memorizing things that we don't get. So for me, it's like, well, no, we need to learn anatomy and foundation at the same time and then start looking at herbs, points and everything else, because that just doesn't work that way. So we need to reassess the way the start, the beginning of the learning is, and we build on it because it's all about foundation. And I remember one of my teachers used to say, if you don't understand, go back to foundation. And it's so true because the foundation of your house allows your house to be stable. But if the foundation is all over the place, well, now that it be stable and then everybody's confused. And that's, I think for my school and for my class, this is what happened. So it took years to kind of go back and relook at everything later on, but I learned a lot more when I was out of school than when I was in school. Well, I think many of us do. And to some degree, it's for exactly what you said. In school, we have all these different things that could build on each other, except we don't have enough grasp of any one piece to get a handle on it. And so we've got all these different pieces that do fit, but we don't know how they fit because we're struggling to learn each system separately. I, I get that. I think that is, in some ways, why medicine is such an iteratively learned thing. Well, actually, most things are iteratively learned. You have to come back again and again. At a certain point, you see how they fit. I, I had the good fortune to go to a school that said, look, your Western medicine things like anatomy, take it before you get here. Like, we don't teach it. We're not going to teach it. We're only going to teach Chinese medicine. So the school that I went to, we all had a basic foundation in the anatomy. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Right? I hadn't thought about what would it be like if I didn't. I'm listening to you share your experience. I'm like, oh, yeah, that would have been really hard. It was already hard. That would have made it even more challenging. I had a good working knowledge of anatomy. I could read the anatomy, you know, read the point books it would describe where the point was. It was like, oh yeah, that's that's very simple. I've got that map. But without that map, that would be tough. So yeah, parsing things. Like what comes first? What comes second? How do you how do you build on on a foundation if you don't already have a foundation yet? And which foundation you're gonna start on? You're gonna start on Western Medicine Foundation, you're gonna start on Chinese Medicine Foundation? It's a good question. I, I don't have an answer to it. Again, I'm not an educator. But I, I think you make a very cogent point about pacing. Yeah, I think there's a lot to it when you when you teach. And I think there's another point too, which makes it difficult too, I specifically for us when we didn't have the internet when we were in school, is that this is Chinese medicine and it does come from China. And that makes it tough too, because the lost in translation is everywhere, right? I remember buying different books because we didn't have the internet. So I bought the Machocha and the Peter Deadman and the Bob Floss and, you know, all the other. And one of my uh, teacher actually wrote a book as well. We bought that one. And 
And the problem was, I think, because it's a different language and we have to try to translate it to, for us, English-speaking people to understand, everybody, the translation was different for every book. So when you're new and you don't know Chinese medicine at all, and you're reading something in one book and reading something in another book that is called differently with a different name, you get so confused because you're like, well, is evil heat different than just heat? I don't know. Like, I don't understand what's the difference, right? So I think that also was really hard. And then, you know, some books call it the San Zhao, but the other book call it the triple burner, triple warmer, triple energizer, triple, like, you know, heater. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is so confusing. What is this? So I think this we have that challenge as well, is that the medicine comes from a different language and it has to be translated and passed on into a Western mind, which I think Chinese medicine comes from, you know, a language that's a bit more poetic and we have something that's more structural in the Western thinking. So that also gets lost in translation and makes it difficult for us to learn at the beginning. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Well, you could say Chinese is poetic, and and in some ways it is. From having studied a little Chinese, I would say Chinese is very good at being nonspecific. English is a pretty specific language. Yes, it's okay. structured, it's specific. You're right. It, and, and and with Chinese, it's often purposefully nonspecific because you want to leave your meaning a, a little bit in question because you, depending on the circumstance, you want plausible deniability on certain things, right? It's kind of built into the culture. It's built into the, built into the language. It used to drive me crazy the way that they would especially talk about structuring things in time. And I'd be like, why can't they just be precise? And it's like, well, because if you get precise, then you could really nail somebody down to something and people didn't want to get nailed down. It's like, oh, I mean, there's all kinds of cultural stuff that goes in there too. Again, this is a, is a Westerner studying some Chinese. I'm bringing my own biases to it, obviously. Uh, but that was my experience with it. And I remember... This is, you know, back when you and I were studying, there was kind of a translation wars going on. Like, do we use this gloss to talk about Chinese medicine? Do we use that gloss? Do we use the Eastland Press? Do we use the Nigel Wiseman versions? And I, I mean, it seemed to me, and this is just one of the tricks that I picked up as a student was, look, it's in Chinese. 
any of these translations are an approximation of something that I'm supposed to learn. It's a little bit tricky because it's like a puzzle with pieces that have, you know, that the edges change as you're working on it. So yeah, that, that piece gets tricky. It does. It's difficult. And I'm, I'm more of a kind of like you said, very straight to the point kind of person. So that was really hard for me because I just didn't, I'm like, you know, and, and some teachers wanted us to say, you know, this is yin shu, you know, and other would say yin deficiency. And some would say something like you would use Chinese word in your diagnosis and with other teachers, you would not. So, and they were, you know, um, 99% 99% of all my teachers for the Chinese curriculum part were all from China. So, it, you know, because they were all from China, I figure it would be like we would learn the same way, but obviously different teacher, different learning. And that was also diff- difficult, right? Because you're like, so we're using Chinese word in this class, but we're not in this class. So, and because it was all new and Chinese, you know, Mandarin was all new to to, to me, that was really hard. That's why... You know, when I started online, I was thinking I'm going to keep it English and basic and very simple unless there is no specific translation for that particularly that particular word. So I'm going to keep it chi because chi you can't translate it with a word, right? Because it's a concept. I'm going to keep it yin and yang because it's a concept. You can't translate yin and yang. I'm going to keep it san jiao instead of triple you know, heater, warmer, burner, energizer, because first of all, too many translations. And second of all, we don't have a Sanjiao in, in in our anatomy, in our Western anatomy. We have a heart, we have a pericardium, we have a small intestine, et cetera, but we don't have a Sanjiao. So I'm going to keep it that way. So I decided in my teaching to only use Chinese when there was no translation that was, you know, a word that already existed in our language. That seems like a reasonable thing. You know, because <laughs> I, I wanted to make it easy. So, yeah. Yeah, because if we're going to be doing this in the English language, in a way we need to have build up a standard vocabulary so that we can easily communicate with each other. I mean, if you speak Chinese, that's that's another thing. You know, you might be able to get it. But if, if you don't, it's much more tricky. That said, I would put in a plug for anyone to go and learn some medical Chinese. And the reason for that is, while that may seem daunting, medical Chinese is a very narrow vocabulary. Maybe a couple of few hundred words, really. It's only a couple few hundred words. It's, it, it's, it's, quite, it's quite doable, even if you're not good with languages. It's quite doable because it's a limited vocabulary. I mean, in some ways, it's easier to learn the vocabulary of Chinese medicine than to learn how to read a very simple newspaper. Yeah, I absolutely agree that you need some basic words. It'll help a lot. I think for me, it helped a lot in learning herbs. You know, once you know that hua is flower, then you're like, okay. And then I know that hong is red, then hong hua is red flower. So you're like, oh, okay. So that's a flower. That's easy to remember, right? So I think that that's important to know basic words that are going to be connected with Chinese medicine, especially when it comes to learning uh, herbs because acupuncture you could still get away with just numeric you know the meridian and the number uh, i know a lot of schools also teach the name of the points as well we were not taught the name of the points we were only taught the numbers so uh, but that helps a lot because once you understand what the name is 
it might give you a clue of where it is, what it does. You know, it, it's it's a really good it's a really good to know. Unfortunately, not every school will teach it. So, our school did not teach it either. And here's what else our school did not teach that I found very helpful is the full name of a meridian. So instead of calling it the lung channel, you call it the hand tie-in lung because hand tie-in, that already, that already begins to tell you a lot about the character of this channel, lung. That comes last. you know, And we often use that as a shorthand. Well, the lung channel, meaning the hand tie-in lung channel, but I found that when I started thinking the full name of a channel, I had a better understanding of innately what kind of dynamics it would have. That's a great point. You're absolutely right. That's a great point to, to do it that way because you're like, okay, it's a yin, it's the long, and somehow it starts to finish at the hand. That gives you a clue right away because you're right. When you first start to remember all those meridians and where they go and where they are, it's so hard. But if you start saying it with the full name, that would help so much. That's a great point. Yeah, at least it helped me. But that was after 15 years of practice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, you learn a lot from your patient because, uh, yeah, I remember, and this is why I love TCM, just a sidebar, but I remember my first, very, very first patient. I remember she wrote down, reason for being here today, she said Ashimoto, right? And she just wrote down Ashimoto. And I remember looking at it and my heart completely sinking because I didn't know what that was. I had never heard of the word Ashimoto. I was not taught in school that word. Uh, you know, we were taught so many disorders, but this is a disorder I did not hear. And so I just thought, oh my gosh, I don't know what she's here for. And then I thought, no, I'm just going to ask my question, do my consultation, do everything else. And then I went and looked it up after. And what was great about this is that it didn't matter that she had a thyroid problem or not. That's why I love TCM is that, well, I did a full consultation and I realized her diagnosis is spleen she deficiency, right? Like it's, it doesn't matter. So in the end, your patient teach you and it's kind of like being online when you were saying, you know, the first video when you're online, you suck. Your first patient, you panic. Not only I panicked because I didn't know what Ashimoto was, but once I needled her, I was just thinking, I hope she's okay. I took the needles out. She went home and I literally went home thinking, what about if I made it worse? What about if like something really bad happened? And I said to my husband, I couldn't sleep that first night. I could not sleep. I was so worried that I heard her, that I did something wrong because there was no more supervision. We were not in school anymore. And your patients will teach you everything. It's kind of like being online. At first you suck. And you're not good, but you do it again and again and again. And eventually people are like, oh, you're a natural. I'm like, no, I was not a natural. I created over 400 videos. That's why it looks natural. And it's the same with patients. After being in practice for 20 years, of course, it's much easier. Like, oh, you needle really fast. Oh, you, you, you're so fast at founding chi. Well, <laughs> at the beginning, it took me 25 minutes to needle the patient because I was so slow. And that's the reality, right? It's it's compounding and learning from our patient and growing and, and becoming better and better with time, just like driving. Anything we learn at the beginning, we're not good, but repetition makes us so much better. Well, not just repetition. You said compounding. Yeah. Compounding is where it's not just repetition because with each repetition, you're getting more than a 1x improvement. 
right? You get compound. It goes faster and faster. You learn more and more. And I love this. Your first patient, Hashimoto, is like, well, what the hell do I do with that? I don't even know what that is. In some ways, Clara, I think it's helpful if we don't, at least I'm speaking for myself, if I don't think I know what something means for someone, if they come in and say, I've got Hashimoto's, I've got a whole bunch of things that, that pop to mind. Here's the problem when I got a bunch of things that pop to mind. I might overlook or I might miss something obvious about this patient in particular that would be helpful for them. Because like, oh, Hashimoto's, well, I know that. The thing is, if I don't know that, I'm going to proceed more carefully. If I don't know that, I have to ask myself, what does that mean? What does it mean for them? What is the experience they are having? How is Hashimoto's unfolding in this kind of person at this moment in time, which really is the strength of our medicine? People come in all the time. I know you get this. I know listeners get this. People come in, they go, I'm depressed. And we think we're supposed to know what the hell to do with that. I have no idea what it means when people say that they're depressed. I'm not a psychologist, right? This is something that is common. It's in our everyday language. People say the word depression. People are supposed to know what that means. But again, what does it mean for this person? I always ask my patients, oh, I'm depressed. It's like, oh, well, well what's depression like for you? Hashimoto's, what's that like for you? Cystic fibroid, you know, cystic ovaries. Huh, I got an idea of what it could be. And I think that's really one of the powers of our medicine. How lucky you were in your first encounter as a brand new practitioner to be in that, huh, how do I proceed? Well, fortunately, you got some great ways of proceeding because what we learn in Chinese medicine school is a phenomenal method of inquiry. I love that. I love the inquiry. It's so detailed. It's so specific. And that's, it makes, and this is why I am like you. This is why I love Chinese medicine, because you treat the person as a whole, not the disorder. You treat the root cause. You look at every angle. It's like you're trying to go to Rome. You know, which road leads you there? There's many roads. There are many roads, right? But we are the detective. We're looking for clues. We're asking deep questions. That's why when people say, well, what do I do for insomnia? I'm like, well, what kind of insomnia? Do you toss and turn all night? Are you up all night? Do you fall asleep and wake up between 1 and 3 a.m.? Are you able to fall back asleep? Do you not? Do you dream? Do you have lots of dreams that disturb your sleep? Like There are so many ways, and all those deep, detailed questions help us put a diagnosis together, and that's the strength of TCM that I love, but it's also the challenge of the TCM because you do have to go in detail and try to be the detective. And sometimes you don't always get the clues because patients might think that it's not relevant or it's not important. And I've had patients saying that. And sometimes you have to really educate the patient that the more detail I get, the better we're going to get the outcome and the effect of Chinese medicine. And it's the same with acupuncture. It compounds. You know, it's like if I just do once a treatment for you and you've been having insomnia for 20 years, I don't think that's going to work, but it's going to compound if we do two sessions, three sessions, and then you're going to see the difference as we go, right? So I think that the detail 
of our medicine is what makes it the strength of it, but it also makes it the challenge of it. Well, it depends on what kind of life you want. If you want a really easy life where you can like, oh, well, headache, I'll pull off this flow chart and follow the flow chart. I mean, if, if you're looking for that kind of a life, yeah, maybe Chinese medicine is not such a great thing. But challenges, that's what makes us grow. That's why I love it, because it challenges you to grow, to continue to learn, and each patient help you go there. This is why, you know, if you're just, I'll say just in quote, but GP, a general practitioner, a medical doctor, people come in, you give them a medicine or you refer them to a specialist, but it's very boring. You see people for five minutes and you do either you give them medicine or you send them somewhere else, but there's not a lot for you to do. And that would be so sad for me. That's why I love Chinese medicine, because you do spend time with people. You do get to know exactly what you're looking for. And it's the challenge of figuring out what is happening here and how we can help this patient. That's the best uh -huh. part of TCM. Do you have a high needful novelty? I like the balance. So I love my routine, but I love to have new things and try new things and do new things. Absolutely. Yeah. It seems to me one of the things that, I mean, I know I have a high need for novelty, for sure. When, when I've got something kind of figured out, I'm, I'm not that interested in it anymore. I'm like a cat. Like, oh, that cat toy, I know how that cat toy works. Yeah, I'm not playing with that anymore. Yeah, I, I, I get that because you're right. Like I, I like the challenge. I like, like it's like technology, right? In order to make those videos on YouTube or to do like, you know, reels or to do, to, to post or to do all those things, I had to learn technology, things I, I didn't know how, like, I, I don't know, like an editing people don't know, but it takes a lot of time to edit and you need to figure it out. And I've pulled a lot of my hair. But at the same time, then once I figure it out, it makes me so happy. And I feel like the growth is just so rewarding. Sure. Well, for sure, there's a learning curve with learning to use the technology and editing in particular. Have, have you found that this, you know, this has like been the year of artificial intelligence. I hate that. I hate that word artificial intelligence because, first of all, I don't think intelligence is artificial. Intelligence is just innate to any complex system. That's my sense. I don't think there's anything artificial about it. I do think that it's synthetic. Like not synthetic as in fake, but synthetic as in synthesized from many sources, the synthesized intelligence that we're seeing appear everywhere. And I'm seeing it. You were talking about, a, before we started rolling some tape, a descript which has some, you know, AI, synthetic intelligence built into it, makes editing so much easier than it used to be. Oh my God, amazing. Are you seeing similar improvements in the video world as, as we are in the audio world? Yeah, I think, you know, and, and again, it's kind of like social media, it's kind of like the internet when AI came out uh, last year, not that it's new because it's been around, but it's it became a little bit more mainstream, I guess. I think that people got were really scared and there's a lot of negative and of course it can be used negatively, but it can be used for greater goods and it's like anything. And for me, absolutely. I think, so we were talking about these scripts specifically and having a program where you record yourself for a video for an hour and you put that video in this AI tool or application 
And let's say I meant to say spleen six, but I said spleen eight because I was going so excited and I made a mistake. Well, the video is the video. I'm not going to record the whole video just to change that spleen eight to spleen six. However, with this AI tool, I can go and change the spleen eight to spleen six because it can overdub my own voice and change the word for me. That saves me so much time. I don't have to worry about putting something on the video or text saying, sorry, I should have said spleen six here. It's not spleen eight. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is like sometimes... Because I have a French accent, because English is not my language, sometimes I don't pronounce something very well. And so I say it again. You know, it's like I'll say dictionary. Oh, no, dictionary. And then I'll I'll say the sentence again and I'll say, oh, I went into dictionary. And all the time that I said it wrong, I can just erase that. And that's gone out of the video. And that makes it so much easier. And yes, if, you know, if it's a blooper and it's funny, I'm going to leave it. But if it's something that just doesn't, it's not a value for anybody, then I'm just going to take it out. So I think AI is amazing for videos, also for thumbnails now. There's AI to tell you if your thumbnail, you give it two or three thumbnails for your video on YouTube, and it'll tell you this one is much more uh, attractive than this one. So that's great because if I spend hours making a video, like I record myself, edit, you know, it takes eight hours to make for me, a 40 minutes video and upload it and do all the description and etc. If I have a thumbnail that is going to be more attractive to people so they can click on it, and then if they found the video of value, great. If they don't, then obviously they can walk away and their time is saved. But if I don't have a good thumbnail, they might miss out on a great content. So AI helps me put it in front of people, and then they can decide once they start listening if this is for them or not, right? So it's been very good. Oh, yeah. That's great. I remember when YouTube first YouTube first came out, and it would just put up a thumbnail or just like pull a thumbnail or just like the first frame or something. But so often in those early YouTubes, before you could make those changes, someone's sitting there with their eyes kind of, you know, cockeyed and their mouth gaping open, and, you know, they look really silly. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad they fixed that. Yeah, they did. Because I know I, I have my first videos, there's no thumbnail. It's just a frame of the, it was just that. You just pick a frame from the And video. how many videos have you got up there now on YouTube? Uh, I have over 320, I think, right now. So, yeah. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective 
herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Like I said, online university. I'm curious to know, and you know, I hear your your heart and I hear your enthusiasm, delight of helping people. We also have to make livings, and I suspect you're also a practitioner and you got that to take care of. And, you know, just day to day walk walk the dog, feed yourself, spend time with your family. How do you make it pay? Have you found a way to put this out and at the same time be able to be remunerated enough to make the juice worth the squeeze. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. When I first started, no, I did not. And like you said, I did it to make an impact for my students, which led to making an impact for more people out there. So when I asked people, what do you want me to do? And they say, oh, make some, you know, online courses. I thought, well, I can, I can create a couple of um, continuing education courses. So I do have those. Um, where I have some continuing education courses with, uh, you know, on my website, which is great for people when they need specific subject that they want to look at to when it comes to continuing education. So I did that. And as I was posting and having fun and creating fun posts on my social media, people kept saying, why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book? And my answer was, English is not my language. I've never written a book. I'm not a writer. I no. And plus, no. I just would. But people kept asking and asking and asking. And eventually, my husband says, you know, maybe you should make a book. And I said, well, I I don't know how. And I don't even know how I would publish. And and he goes, well, start with just a digital version, like an ebook. That way it'd be easier. You don't have to, you know, you self-publish. So I decided I was going to make a book and I asked everyone, I said, okay, so we're making the book about all acupuncture points and they're all going to be graphics because everybody's very visual and we're going to make it visual. And that's what people respond really well to my content. So I said to people, okay, I'm going to do a book with all acupuncture points on graphics. What do you want me to call it? And I had, when I asked that question on Facebook, I had over 482 people answering me and telling me what it should be called. What was interesting is there was at least, I remember it was 12 to 15 people who thought I should call it AccuPoint Made Easy because they said, I've always made everything easy. And all I kept saying is, I'm trying to make everything easy. And, da, da, da. and I was like, this is the perfect title, AccuPoints Made Easy. And so I spent the next few months trying to make this PDF digital version of this AccuPoint Made Easy. And once it was made, I put a cover out to everyone in my community, same thing. It was on Facebook at the time. And I said, here's a few covers. Which one's the best cover? They chose the cover. They chose the title. They chose what was going to be inside because then I would ask, okay, what else can I put in there? And people would say, oh, make sure you explain about the special points like the Luo connecting point, the UN point, you know, the back shoe, the front glue, et cetera. So I was like, okay, I got to put that in there. And people were asking for a few things. And the next thing I have is an 800-page PDF digital AccuPoint made easy. And I thought, well, uh, you guys asked for it, so here it is. 
And that's how I started making a living <laughs> from my online platform. I think at the beginning, I did spend a lot of money because obviously you have to have a website, which costs money. You have to, you know, it's a lot of time you, you're doing. I do everything. It was all me. It's all me. I did everything except someone helped me made a website because I don't know how to design a website, but all the content, all the creation, all the posts, all the caption, everything is I did it on top of having a full-time practice, on top of teaching, on top of, you know, owning a multidisciplinary wellness center, like all those things. And so it needed to be rewarding financially as well, um, in a way. And so that made me really happy for two reasons. Yes, because it did sell, which and it still does to this day. But also the fact that people came back and the feedback, because I remember this, I made this 800 page PDF. I put it out there and people started buying it. And I remember after I received a note from my system that says, um, you know, you've sold 17. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to refund all those 17 people. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> because I thought they're all going to look at this and go, this is so bad. This is so stupid. I this is so not what I want. I need my money back. This sucks. I don't like it. And my husband's like, what? I think it's really cute. I love it. And I was like, yeah, you're not in a TCM world. This is not. And it kept selling and selling. And I've been, and I kept looking at my email, waiting for someone to say, we found me. This is horrible. And the email came and it was like, I'm so glad you made this. This is the best thing. This is awesome. I'm a visual person. And since, since then, I receive things every single day on DMs, on different social media platforms, on email, telling me like this totally was such a great idea because it made an impact on so many students, but also practitioners because they take it and then they show their patients. So like, see, I'm doing this point and this is what it does. And so that just made my... Yeah, it just changed everything. I was so happy about it. So I think you might have stumbled in to one of the great superpowers of the internet. And I've heard people talk about this. I've heard, I've heard people talk about crowdsourcing. I've heard people talk about find out what your audience wants and then give it to them. Like, how do you succeed? Well, <laughs> step one, find out what your audience wants. Step two, give it to them. Exactly. It, I mean, it's kind of simple, but this is exactly what you did. You had a large enough audience. You were engaged with them enough that you could find out what else they wanted that had value to them. And then you ask, well, what do you want? Because there's a great software development model called agile development. Are you familiar with it? No, I'm not. Okay. You actually did it. So agile development is, I've got a software product I want to make. You don't do the entire software project and put it out there hoping people will buy it. You create a minimal viable product. You put out just enough that people can buy it, they can interact with it, and then they will tell you where the problems are. They will tell you what else they want. They will tell you, here's some other ideas of things that, that would make it better. And the idea is to put something out there in a way that has your audience interacting with you and you take that inter interaction, that interaction, and that's what you build. You don't have to come up with the idea yourself. You have to listen. It's like being in clinic. 
Like, what does a patient need? Oh, they got Hashimoto's. Oh, fuck. What does that mean? What do I do with that? Well, I'm going to listen and see what they tell me that they need. And then you craft a treatment. And you've done the same thing with your book. What do you all need? We need a, we need a point book. What, what kind of point book? It's something easy. What should I call it? Acupuncture made easy, right? It's like, <laughs> which of these covers do you like? How do I know what's a good cover? Hey, y'all, which cover do you like? You did agile development. That's exactly how it works. You have to be open and capable of taking feedback and seeing what people want. I don't think it's any different than how we operate in clinic. It's one of the benefits of learning the medicine that we learn. It opens us to a kind of inquisitiveness. And we have tools for going even further and deeper with it if we want to. So that's awesome. That's a great point. Yeah, it's listening to what people are asking, even though it's scary, because just like the Ashimoto, you don't know what to do at first, but you just go and use the tools that you have, right? And for me, I remember I had already made about 80 graphics for fun that I had posted all the time on, on Facebook. And, you know, I posted on Facebook every single day at 6 p.m. since 2015. I've never missed a day except when my mom passed away and I had to fly to France. That's the end. People, this is how the community was that touched me very much because people DM me and said, you didn't post yesterday. What's wrong? I, I got to France because, of course, I was traveling. It was my mom passed away and we had, we we were in Las Vegas. I had taken my husband to Las Vegas on uh, for his birthday trip and we got the call. So we had to come back to Vancouver and then fly right out. So when I got to France, I remember getting so many DMs, people like, what is going on? How come you didn't post? You never miss. Something's wrong. And that really touched me because people realized like, this is weird. You know, she's so consistent for years and suddenly, you know, it's been three years. I never missed a day. And it was, so it was very touching because that's, you know, it doesn't matter if you bought a book or a course of mine or never, ever, if you support what I do and you show up and you share my content so everybody can benefit from it, then you're part of my community. You're absolutely a, a rock star for me. So, um, so yeah, sh showing up is, is huge and consistency is huge and passion is big passion for TCM, you know, to continue to provide and listen to your audience and grit. You have to have grit when you're online because it is scary because some people sometimes say really mean things. And I knew that would happen. But however, if 99% of the people are really happy and are very thankful and grateful and take the time to, to be there and supporting you, then I have to forget the 1% that, you know, really broke my heart and said something really mean because I'm very sensitive and online that's going to happen, right? And you can't please everybody. And the grit is the same in practice. You know, when people practice and maybe they're not really busy at the beginning and they feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make a living. And what am I going to do? Do I need to get a second job? You know, what what is going to happen? You have to have grit. You have to, if you fall down, get up and try something else because eventually you'll get there. It's just don't give up, right? That that's, that's my motto. I've always been passionate. If I'm passionate, I can do anything. If I'm consistent, then I see results. And if I have grit, then when it's bad, I get up and I do it again. Where do you think you got your grit? My husband asked me that question all the time. Because, <laughs> you know, I came to Canada and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know English. I didn't have a place to stay. And so I, I came to learn English for one year. 
and uh, I stayed, obviously. How old were you when you did that? I was 23. Mm-hmm. In a long time, and you know, Europe was opening at the time and becoming the European community, and everybody was like, "We're gonna need to learn English. We're gonna need to know English." And I'm from the French Alps, so I I knew Italian because they were right next door to us, and that's how we learned Italian because we were in Italy all the time. And but English, I didn't know, so I thought I need to learn English, and I've always wanted to see the Rockies. So I thought Canada, I'm gonna apply, see if I can go there. I get a visa, I come here to work. I don't know a word of English. I don't know anybody. I don't have a place to stay. I don't have a job. And I ha- I had the time at the time I had $490 in my pocket and I didn't have any way to get more money. My mom is a single mother. She's on the minimum wage. There's no credit card. There's no nothing. So I had to make it work. And yeah, it wasn't easy at all. So I think the grit I got from my mother who I saw raising kids on her own on minimum wage when my dad passed away uh, when I was five. He got killed by a drunk driver coming home and she became instant single mother and did everything in her power to give us the best life possible. And she was, my mom was, you know, the best for me anyway. She was the best mom in the world because we had no money and she taught me everything I know, like everything. I remember when I was little, I would say, I want strawberries. She's like, no, they're too expensive. You just eat a banana. But I want strawberries. She's like, no. And I'm like, you know, I would get mad and say, we have no money. We can't do anything. We don't go on holiday. We don't have anything. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. All of us, I I have two brothers, older brothers as well. And my mom would say, we have our health. That's number one. Anything else is we have each other. After that, the money, don't worry about it. We're fine. We're happy. We're good to go. And I remember thinking, she doesn't understand anything. Who cares about health and each other? I want to be able to like travel and have my own bedroom and have my own shower. And, you know, because we wash in the sink. We didn't even have a shower. And so I remember, and, you know, I mean, I'm sinning now and all for years and years, I'm thinking, wow, she knew everything. My mother knew everything without health. We have nothing. And this is why we are in this health industry, because you can have millions, but if you're not healthy, it doesn't give you anything. Health is everything and a community, a supportive people. Those are the two most important thing in life. My grandfather used to always say, if you have your health, you have everything. Okay. Now, as a younger person, I was thinking, no, I don't have everything. I mean, you've got a lot. You've got this great farm you live on. You have these nice businesses that you've built. You drive a really nice car. You know, I'm a 17-year-old. I'm kind of an idiot. I'm not very good at making money. I'm kind of shy, so I'm not good at talking to people. You know, you got your health. You got everything. And all I'm thinking is, no, there's a bunch of stuff I don't have. Well, in time, here's what I discovered. If you got your health, you have the capacity to create a tremendous amount. You have the capacity to learn. You've got the capacity to make money. You could buy the fancy Grand Prix like my grandfather drove back in the 70s if you develop your capacity and you need your health to have that. So health doesn't mean you got everything, but it means you've got a shot at more than you probably can even consider at that moment. That is true. And here's the thing I love about living in the West. Like, I want some strawberries. I don't have any money. Well, I'll go make some damn money. Like, you want something, well, figure it out. Because by and large, we can. And there's never been a better time 
like we were saying at the beginning, with the tools that we have that connect us to the world, right? You started off teaching your students and, and, and being a resource for your students. Instantly, you're internationally known because the internet is not local. It's all over the place. Yeah, it's so true. And, and I got, you know, I, I've got asked because of the internet, I've got asked to go to India. I went to India twice to teach 36 doctors for a week. That was amazing. So cool. So cool. Oh my God. That's fabulous. Yeah. I absolutely love that experience. And I learned about Ayurveda and Ayurvedic medicine as well while I was there, but it was such a good experience to, you know, to go teach people that wanted to learn and wanted me to be there. And I remember when I went there, I had no idea what to expect. And it was such a great experience. And the generosity and the passion of wanting to learn over there was amazing. And this year, actually, in, in May in 2024, um, I've been asked to speak in the UK, the Netherlands, and Austria. So I'm doing a May-June uh, TCM tour in Europe. That's what I'm calling it. It's very funny. It's three completely different entities, but I'm going to teach people in Europe. So I'm excited about this. So this this internet opens possibilities to meet new people and, and get such great, fun experiences. That's wonderful. Hey, I want to pivot this just a little and talk to you about social media for a moment. Because I have a hate-hate relationship with social media. I really do. I just, uh, I, I wish I could ignore it, and I don't think I can. I can't. Okay. So help me think about how I can be helpful to people with social media. And, and, and beyond the how do I game the algorithm to get as many opens as possible, because really, I don't want to game the algorithm. I don't want 16 billion people looking at what I've got if it's not appropriate to them. I would like whatever I've got out there going to the people that I'm trying to speak to. I want people who do Chinese medicine, they're interested in Chinese medicine, I want to reach them. I'm not interested in the health influencer. I'm not interested in the casual, I'll do some acupressure for beauty, you know, or gua sha to make my skin look better. I want to reach practitioners. I, I want it to be useful. And, and I'm not trying to get a bunch of opens. I'm trying to get the material to the place where it will do the most good. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. Okay. Of course. So help me think about this. Yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, I think it's really important to pick one platform to start with, right? Mm. Because obviously, if you look at, you know, people will say, oh my God, you're everywhere. Yes, I am on every platform now. But when I first started, my comfort zone and where I hanged out was Facebook. So I started with Facebook because it was comfortable with me for me. And so that's where I started. So pick a platform that you enjoy consuming and you enjoy being on. So if it's YouTube, then pick YouTube. If it's Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Wherever you feel like this is where I really like to hang out. That's where you should do because it should be something that, because you said I have a hate-hate. So I think it's important that that there's going to be a bit of a love-hate in there and make it balance where you enjoy the platform. So pick a platform you really enjoy. 
because that'll make it much easier than doing something you don't like. I think that's important to, to really enjoy it. So let's say you pick YouTube. Because you're doing a lot of interviews on your podcast, I would put all those interviews on YouTube, like as a video, right? So for sure. Oh, but I hate video. I know, but it's it's it would be great to start with. Now, if you hate video because you're a podcaster, I totally get that. Then you can use, there's a couple of things you can use. Obviously, you can pick, let's say, Facebook or Instagram because the, the biggest platform out there are definitely Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and then TikTok is coming right behind it. So when you look at everything, the biggest search engine is Google. So YouTube is the biggest search engine. So when people are looking for something, YouTube will come up much faster. However, the most users are going to be daily users are still on Facebook in the world when you look at the world. So that is where practitioner hang out, I think, mostly on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. The other ones, eh, not many. So you got to pick one and you got to have fun with it. Now, if you don't want to do a lot of videos, then sound bites. Obviously, all your podcasts can have sound bites, right? And those can be done. Now, you could also use AI and you don't have to be on videos. You can use AI and there is a lot of AI platform now like... Um, InVideo.ai, that's a really good platform, InVideo.ai, where you can take some of your sound bites, maybe a minute of something that you said or your guest said that is really profound or that could be so useful for practitioners. And you can take that text and put it in an AI that's going to make a video with it and keep the voice of the person, but it's going to make a B-roll background. So it's just... You're not in it, but there's got to be something to watch with the sound, right? So there's a pretty background. It's 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 someone talking against waves crashing on a shore or wind in the Could trees be. of a forest or clouds or or what or what else could it be? Okay, so let's say I decide to say, oh, my very first patient came in and had Hashimoto, and I did not know what that was, right? And so, but what I love about Chinese medicine is that, you know, we can treat everybody in any way we can by doing the inquiry method to start with an observation, and then we can make our diagnosis. So knowing about Hashimoto or not was not a problem. So let's say that's what you took out of it and you decide to make a video. You put this in an AI application, they are going to put B-roll of someone needling someone someone looking uh, tired because they have Hashimoto, someone uh, going to school, learning Chinese medicine. You might see some Chinese medicine graphics behind or someone doing calligraphy or the yin-yang symbol. It's going to be much more specific to what you're talking about. So it's kind of like watching a movie without the main characters. Wow. And the AI will take and generate that based on your content. Correct. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. I know. So nowadays there's, I, you know, I, I would not do that because I think it's really hard to connect with people. You still have to kind of make it where it's you sometimes and it's AI sometimes. The good part is it's your voice or your guest voice. So that's still you. But there are now brand new YouTube channels that are completely AI generated. So people will go and make a channel on 
you know, the weirdest things in the world. And then they'll go to an AI like ChatGPT and say, tell me the 10 weirdest thing that happened in North America in the last 10 years. And it'll tell you the 10 weirdest things. And then you'll take each things and say, can you, can you write a script for that specific weird event that is less than one minute for a, you know, TikTok? And the script will be written. You take that script, you put it in the AI generating video, and now it has a video that generates everything with the script and it has a person speaking. You can pick a woman's voice, a man's voice. It's crazy. There are channels that literally in the last three months went from zero to 2 million subscribers by doing that. 2 million? Oh, yeah. But YouTube is, which I think is really good, is going to, in 2024 crack down on those because they want real creators. And so if your channel is completely AI generated, uh, they are going to definitely push it back and not push it forward in the viewers. So that's good for us who are creating real content, but you can help. AI can help in generating some stuff from your soundbite. And you're right, you could put wave crashing behind or you could put something that is a little bit more interactive with the words and the caption and obviously your sound. So that can be done for sure. That actually sounds kind of fun. Yes, it is fun. I mean, I'm really, I'm just, I'm not interested, in, and maybe this is just me, but if I'm looking at a video, I'm not interested in looking at people talking. I'm, I just, maybe because I listen to people talking all damn day long. So like watching two talking heads could not be more boring. But some kind of dialogue that's interesting against a visual background that's maybe a little unexpected, connective, and not two talking heads, oh, actually, I think I would look at that. But that's yeah. just me. Well, that's it. You have to enjoy it, right? Because you- You got to enjoy it. Okay, good. Yeah. You okay. got to enjoy it. And so it's, you know, I've done things like this without AI, but I remember- at the beginning when I was on Instagram and Instagram Reels came out and they were like, oh, you have to do like 30 seconds video. And I had never done that because I had done lectures on YouTube. So I did not quite know what to do with this vertical videos. And I didn't know 30 seconds, what do you do? So I remember getting a bunch of B-roll. I remember I had this, uh, those people in school for like five seconds and then after that, it was like a Chinese store, someone walking into a Chinese store with all the herbs and everything. And my video was just about, you know, um, if you're in school right now and you're still struggling, uh, in TCM school right now and you're still struggling, just so you know, eventually it'll all fall into place and you'll come out and be so good at what you do because you love TCM as much as I do. And it was just a very short video, but... It had a bunch of B-rolls to kind of tell the story because I just didn't know how to make those short videos. I was just like, and then of course you learn eventually. But so I did make some videos where I'm not in it at all. Like I wasn't in the video. And that's, you know, I remember using, um, I think it was called Lumen 5 at the time. And I had taken a blog post and then you could put your blog post into the, the, the application and it would grasp the five points, the main points of your blog post, and then just talk about those five points and add a B-roll for each point. 
So it was a nutrition one. And I, you know, it was the five point is, okay, um, there are different nature of food. It could be cool, cold, hot, neutral, or warm. And so it showed different food that were hot or cold or cool or warm. So it was really, really, really neat to, to have that done. And then that's, you know, I did that a few times to kind of play with it. So I like technology because I like to play with it. And sometimes it's a disaster, but sometimes it's a lot of fun. It comes out great and it impacts people. So, yeah. Yeah. I enjoy playing with technology as well. And I so appreciate your reminder. I've made a note here. I'm going to put it on my computer so I don't forget. This will be helpful. You have to enjoy it. Make sure I'm enjoying it. Do something that yeah. I enjoy and then, yeah, okay. I think I can take a swing at it that way. Yeah, because if you don't enjoy it, it is not going to last. For me, like if I love to teach and I love to share my passion for TCM, if I don't enjoy it, then I, I'm not going to continue doing it. There's no way. Right. I mean, I do the podcast because I enjoy it. See? And it, oh, absolutely. It's why I've, it's why I've been, it's why I've had one out every Tuesday since I began. How many years is that? Pretty much six. That's amazing. I think, or seven. I can't remember. That's amazing. Long enough, I can't remember. Six or seven, something like that. I don't know. You know how many people <laughs> can be consistent? And I think that's what scares people or to start because everybody's like, well, what am I going to talk about like in a year from now or two years from now? But if you love what you do, there's there's no worry about it. You love the podcast, so you don't worry about it. I don't have to worry about talking about something. I get interesting people on. I let them do the talking. Yeah, but it's a conversation, so it's fun because you get to you get to exchange <laughs> ideas, and that's that's true. Having yeah. interviews, have you? Okay, so here's a question: You're doing interviews. Are you? spending time looking for who to interview? Like, do people come to you? Do you go get them? Like, what's the best outcome or what's the best way to get your your guest, I guess? It just happens naturally. Then see, that's because you love it. It just happens naturally. Yeah. Sometimes people contact me. Sometimes I'll be talking to someone. They'll mention someone else's work. And I'm like, ooh, let me know more about that. It, it's very organic. I don't. I can't even tell you how I do it anymore. Because it, it's just an organic thing. It's yeah. like you go into your kitchen and you turn on the hot water faucet and the hot water comes out. It's just kind of, at this point, I've been doing it long enough. It just kind of works that way. And that's why you're good at it because you've been doing it for a long time because you enjoy it, you love it. And because, and this is why it all comes together. And that's, that's why I said for the social media piece, you have to enjoy it because if you're not enjoying it, it's not going to be sustainable, right? I'm going to find a way of doing that. And the reason I want to learn to do that and be able to do that is, you know, there's so much wisdom that I get to hear other people share like this. You got to enjoy it, right? It's like, I want to share that with the world. That's important to hear. Actually, it's important for more than just acupuncturists to hear it. So maybe it would be okay if it hit an algorithm and went further because, you know, the, the principles of Chinese medicine are actually just helpful in cultivating life. Now that I think about it, maybe I should think, maybe I should think bigger than I've been thinking. Well, you know, I feel like it's the same when you first start and open your practice. You have all this knowledge and you want to help so many people, but nobody knows you're there. So they're not coming. 
and then nobody's coming to see you. And I think it's the same with, you know, all this knowledge that you want to pass on, all this this wisdom you want to share so people can benefit. Well, they have to be able to see it because if it's not out there, then they're not benefiting, right? So it's the same as starting a practice. It's you have this knowledge, but you're not sharing it because nobody comes. So with social media, what's great is you can go to people, you can share it, and then they can just interact and, and benefit from it. So it's easier than having people coming to you. Um, it takes time and consistency. And I think there's something that's important is the comparison. Um, it's easy to go, oh, this person has, you know, so many subscribers and I started and six months later, I still have, you know, whatever, let's say a thousand. And I think people forget that if you have a thousand people following you or subscribing or whatever the word is, those people raise their hands to say they want to hear more about you. And there's a thousand of them. And if there was a thousand people in front of you, sitting in front of you, you'd be in awe that they're standing there waiting for you to share your wisdom. You go, oh my God, there's a thousand people. But I think we forget I would something. Be looking, I would be looking for the exit door. <laughs> a thousand people. Ah. <laughs> but that's it, right? I think we forget. We see people with millions of followers and we're like, oh, I only have a thousand people. Yeah. But that's more important to have those thousands that are really engaging. And that's what's more important. It's engaging community than having, you know, millions of people, but it's not really bringing anything to both parties. So to me, it's, it's not about being super big. It's about making an impact at the level that needs to be done. You're talking about quality. Yeah. And authenticity. Yes, genuine authenticity and quality, and and then you found the person you connect with, and that whoever it, whomever it is, it's kind of like you know we all listen to podcasts, and obviously I listen to a lot of podcasts that are not TCM related, and there's people that I love to listen to, and it's just like every episode I'm I'm ready, I'm like oh my god it's tomorrow it's tomorrow I'm I'm excited what what is she gonna talk about and. And other people, it's like, I listen for a few weeks. I'm like, yeah, no, no, not my cup of tea. And I think I'm mm -hmm. just going to move on. And that's the power of the internet. And it's not about how many, it's how good you can connect with people. And that just happened to me recently. There's a TCM practitioner who is online and uh, DM me and said, you know, it's really hard. I'm really struggling. I feel like I'm not making an impact. And you know, I feel like I want to give up. And that's, I can see that happening, right? And I said, don't give up because what you're doing is amazing. And the people that are engaging are loving it. And he just released a video where he was very vulnerable and exactly explaining that and said that, you know, now he's ready to continue and that making an impact for a thousand people versus, you know, other people that have 40 thousand subscribers or whatever is still very, very important. And those thousand people are going to be so thankful and grateful that you kept going and you didn't give up. Back when I started a practice, I could affect one person at a time. The person in front of me, that was it. Now we can help make lives better in all kinds of places. We don't even have to be present. It, it, I mean, the multiplying factor, the compounding factor of the internet really can be helpful. And I, I, I appreciate the work you're doing. I appreciate this conversation that reminds me that we can lean on what works and what's good and do more of it. Because that's the best way to counter the crazy stuff. 
I agree. That's so true. Like lean into your gift. We all have a gift, all of us, right? And we can self-criticize and say, oh, I don't know this or, you know, and put ourselves down or self-doubt, but we all have a gift. And the gift we have is to serve the world and the people around us and whoever we're serving, whomever we're serving with our gift. That's why we're here. That's it. I love it. Well, Clara Cohen, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it for today. <laughs> I'll pin it up. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. We could go on for hours. I know I, we could do that. Yeah, but. well, you know, we could do a Joe Rogan style and go for three hours, but we need cigars and uh, whiskey. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if people want to find you, where would they go? Oh my, so my platform is AccuPro Academy, Acupuncture Professional. So acuproacademy.com, that's my website and tons of resources and they are free resources. And of course, you can find me at AccuPro Academy on any social media platform that you enjoy. <laughs> Excellent. I'll make sure all that's on the show notes page. Thank you so much for today. This has really been a joy. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad. I can't, I can't wait to have you on my podcast when I start it up. <laughs> I'll be there. Thank you. I loved hearing Clara talk about the first time that she stood up in front of a camera to make a Facebook video. She had no idea what she was doing other than she wanted to be helpful to her students, and this seemed like a way to do it. In our social media world of influencers and experts, there are many who are drawn to these tools as a way to promote themselves. But Clara, she was looking to be helpful, and it turns out if you want to help others and you're persistent, you can build something surprising and wonderful and better the lives of others along the way as well. We've never had better tools or more ways of connecting to the people that we want to serve. What Clara has built is a good example of what the entrepreneurial spirit is capable of creating. This conversation with her reminds me that value and success are never created overnight. It takes the turning and compounding of effort over years. It takes deciding that you're not going to stop and requires the humble virtue of asking for help along the way. It's not about having a good plan, but more about uncovering the opportunities that show up along the way. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. <laughs> <laughs>